Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hanukkah Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. During this episode, we visit Borewab Mimun classes that are in person again. We also talk to a tribal member with experience in the Oklahoma film industry as a costumer and hear from the Oklahoma Gaming Industry Association chairman about its recent history and future. In 2021, the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Language Department began offering in-person classes again after more than a year due to the pandemic. Since many tribal members live across the country, they also use an online platform every session. Department Director Justin Neely teaches each class virtually over Zoom and uploads them to YouTube afterward. Where we save everything. Do you guys uh, online, do you have your conversational Potawatomi uh, manual available? I'm going to share the screen either way, so just to let you know, but that's what we're going to be working out of a little bit today. Tribal member Lori Underwood has been tuning in from Colorado to as many classes online as possible. She appreciates the language department making the effort to offer it via the internet. It's my only connection, you know, and then that coupled with not, you know, the things being canceled, like gathering being canceled and stuff like that. The Zooms are my only connection. So it's very valuable to me. Another tribal member, Marilyn Ann Anderson, has been attending in-person classes on and off for nine years at CPN's Cultural Heritage Center. She passes on her knowledge to family members, cherishing the importance of Bode Wabmimwen. My oldest uncle, he said uh, that he had heard there was a language, but he had never got to hear it, and he would have loved to hear it. And whenever I started learning, he would ask me all kinds of questions, and I did my best to answer, and it broke my heart that he didn't get to learn. Ann Anderson feels positive in her progress since returning to in-person classes this fall. I can understand what he's saying a lot more than what I can speak. But today I was actually speaking some of it, and it's kind of impressive that, whoa, that came out of my mouth correctly. (laughs) Neely tells students their success in the language depends upon self-patience and setting realistic goals and expectations. Don't be too hard on yourself. You're not going to walk out of your first class, your third class, saying everything perfectly. It's not going to happen. It wouldn't happen in French, German, Potawatomi, anything. That's okay. The more you use it, the more comfortable you get with it, the better you kind of your accent becomes and you get better with it. He also feels children pick up the language very quickly, saying they may not be as outwardly motivated as adults, but have less hesitancy. Kids don't care. Kids will say stuff messed up and they'll just repeat it and they don't really care if they sound silly or goofy or whatever and they'll say it. They don't have a problem saying it. A lot of times for adults, that's kind of a little bit of a hang up for them. They're kind of concerned with what their peers might think. Both Ann Anderson and Underwood teach their granddaughters Borewab Mimun as they learn, and they both have surprised their nokmas, or grandmother. Underwood's granddaughter underwent her second open-heart surgery at just two years old. When asked how she was feeling afterward, she responded in Potawatomi, Gawa. Which um, translates uh, to barely, like I'm feeling barely, like not very well. 
So here's my little granddaughter in the hospital. My husband walks in and asks her, how are you doing? And um, he, she looks him right in the eye. She's two years old at this point, And she says, Gawa, Papa. <laughs> and Anderson's granddaughter has had a long journey with language and being able to vocalize her thoughts and feelings. She is now in kindergarten and enjoys telling her teacher, Bama P, or until later, as she leaves the classroom. And the first time she did it, the teacher was kind of confused. But we explained what she was saying. And then she's really proud of her for keeping up because she was nonverbal until after she was four years old. So she's learning both at the same time, slowly. Again, you know, we go on to the other side and we're still in that spirit form, so it's never a goodbye. You'll see that person again another time, another place. But Bama Pi or Bama Minan Goji or Sketch or Skijimayak, uh, there's lots of different ways of saying later or after a while. So. Neely thinks hosting classes online and providing a myriad of internet resources reaches tribal members across the country, but also meets the next generation of younger speakers where they are. You're trying to reach your audience, and the reality is our children, our grandchildren, they're very tech-savvy, even much more tech-savvy than myself. You know, we have to make the language in a medium that's accessible to them. He started a Potawatomi language Facebook group a few years ago. It grew in popularity and now has over 5,000 members from Potawatomi tribes across the country. He welcomes all of them to the online classes. You never know who's going to jump into the classes, you know, when we post them and have them, have them available. And sometimes we'll get folks that are, you know, citizen Potawatomi. Sometimes we'll get Prairie Band folks. Sometimes we'll get folks from Huron or Gun Lake that'll join in. It kind of creates that, that kind of larger Potawatomi language community that exists out there. Underwood noticed a craving to learn about culture and language while talking to other citizen Potawatomi tribal members when she began taking classes. She sees them as a pathway to something more. There is a lot of language, and honestly, it will open doors to other stuff. You will meet other people, and you will start to slowly make those connections and, and get your, your culture fixed that you think you're missing. Neely agrees that language is the foundation. During his lessons, he often teaches short stories, history lessons, and cultural traditions, along with vocabulary and grammar. Like I always like to say, you know, it's our stories, our history, our, our ceremonies, our recipes, our dance, all that stuff that, you know, that, that common blood that makes us Potawatomi. But really it's our language, kind of that thread that kind of ties it all together. After taking classes for two years, Underwood sees it as her responsibility to learn and teach the next generations of her family. Nobody can take the language away from you. If you can speak your language, that's not something you wear. That's something you live. You live the language. I understand most of what I'm saying. That's good. And that's really good. And I'm, like I said, I'm very proud of you and I appreciate your efforts to come, whether it be from online or from here local. I appreciate you. Find many online language resources by clicking the language tab at PottawatomieHeritage.com. Citizen Potawatomi Nation tribal member Amy Higdon followed her passion for costume design. Since 2014, she's worked on several large productions in the Oklahoma film industry. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in theater from Oklahoma State University, she is now pursuing her master's of fine arts in costume design at the University of California, Los Angeles. I did not get into costume design because I loved clothes, ironically enough. I got into it because I really loved movies and I love stories. I guess my process, it really begins and ends with character and story. A significant portion of success in the film industry depends on networking. 
After creating costumes for theatrical productions throughout college, Higdon branched out and began looking for positions on films and TV shows. Higdon has worked as an intern, a production assistant, set costumer, and more. If you're an actor, you kind of hope to get discovered one day and like have a breakout role or something like that. But a designer, it's very much like chipping away at the stone and climbing the ladder. And it's like, it'll take a little while, but I'm getting closer every day. So (laughs) She called costuming and working on set an unglamorous job, but noted that passionate people and the finished product keep everyone on task. It can be very work intensive, um, long hours a lot of carting around heavy clothes. Um, People wouldn't expect clothes to weigh as much as they do. After some experience on several different projects, Higdon met the requirements to join the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Since then, she's been able to work on the critically acclaimed 2021 drama Minari, as well as Stillwater starring Matt Damon and Killers of the Flower Moon, which was filmed in Pahuska, Oklahoma. Those projects aligned with Higdon's focus on being true to the story. The story is the main thing. I feel like I'm a cog in the machine that tells the story. And costumes are a huge part of that. But I'm not looking to push a certain aesthetic or anything when I design. It's just a matter of being as authentic to the story and the characters as I can be. Still early in her career, Higdon has served this purpose on productions mainly as a background costumer. She worked to bring authenticity to both Stillwater and Killers of the Flower Moon while dressing the actors with non-speaking roles. You're figuring it out as they pull things out of their suitcase. It's like, oh, you could wear that shirt and be this character and walk around and do this. And this makes sense here. So background costuming is a really fun way to kind of hone your decision making skills and your resourcefulness when you want to be a designer. Indigenous representation in movies and television grew in 2020 with the arrival of sitcoms including Hulu's Reservation Dogs. Films such as Killers of the Flower Moon, which tells the story of a long series of murders of wealthy Osage landowners in the 1920s in present-day north-central Oklahoma, and Stillwater, shone a light on the state as a thriving area for the industry. Higdon worked on all three productions. Reservation Dogs and Killers of the Flower Moon were shooting simultaneously in Oklahoma, literally an hour of down the road from each other. Um, and there was a lot of crossover and background artists that I dress. While she mainly worked in the office for Seminole Nation member and director Sterling Harjo's sitcom, Higdon enjoyed her time with Reservation Dogs and felt the show's indigenous fashion reached many viewers in a special way. All the costumes were like from native brands and urban native era was like, They had sent clothes and all these designers that you follow. And it's like, oh, and the characters are wearing them because that's what we wear. Like, it's really cool. Higdon encourages Native youth and artists to follow their passions with more and more stories of representation and success of Indigenous peoples in the film industry. It's one of the core pillars of our culture's storytelling and arts and crafts and skills that need to be passed on to the next generation, and there's nothing that's off the table. Find Amy Higdon's website at amyhigdondesign.com and her internet movie database page at cpn.news backslash higdonimdb.
Throughout the past two years, the pandemic and legal challenges to gaming compacts agreed upon with the state of Oklahoma have both presented unique challenges for citizen Potawatomi Nation and the rest of the industry. The Oklahoma Indian Gaming Association held its annual trade show and conference in person once again this August. Matt Morgan has served as the chairman of the OIGA since 2019. He offers insight about the state of the industry, the future of gaming, and his take on government partnerships. I, I think the biggest thing coming from the conference was coming off the, the year of the pandemic, the year of COVID. We, we were able, to, after having to take, you know, 2020 off, 2021 allowed us to bring that group back together. Uh, in the Indian gaming industry, 38 billion sold dollars across the across the country. It sounds big, but here in Oklahoma, just like Indian country, most of us know each other, you know, and, and they become more than just colleagues and partners and friends. They become your family. And that's the, what we termed our conference, you know, getting the family back together again. Um, and that conference really uh, is purpose is twofold. One is we provide a level of education to both our members and our, our partners or counterparts in, in the state government. Um, secondarily, we have a trade show that allows our, our vendors, the people that, that make machines, have new technology, gives them an opportunity to promote and market the latest and greatest out there. Uh, when you come to Oklahoma, what you're seeing is the most technologically advanced floors in the world. And, you know, that's what we do. We do it really well. And we're also, you know, always looking to what's next, whether that's sports betting, whether that's iGaming, whether that's eSports, 35 tribes offering gaming in this, in this, within the uh, state borders, you know, that in and of itself requires us to up, everyone has to up their game every year. At the end of the day, on the gaming side, on the operation side, that's our competitors. It's a friendly competition, but that's competitors between those. And, you know, uh, us being at the OIGA, we love them all. And so the bigger and better they get, the, the better we, we, we are uh, feel about how our industry is doing. The Federal Indian Gaming Regulatory Act of 1988 recognizes tribes' sovereign right for economic development, resulting in what Morgan calls one of the most successful economic development ventures of the last four decades throughout Indian country. Having that foundation of tribal governmental gaming being authorized and blessed by the federal government has allowed tribes to start participating again in the economic activities that surround them. It's given them the ability to uh, not only operate in an economic round, but it's gave them the ability to start providing jobs, to providing programs and services dollars back to their tribal citizens, which is really the point of tribal governments in the first place, is to care for their citizens. Um, and it's important to both the tribes and the state because we're, we are linked together at the hip. Over the course of our history, we have shown time and time again that we work together better. And when we're not working together and we're adversarial, it's to the detriment of both parties. If tribes have done better, the state has done better. As the state has done better since the advent of, of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, tribes have done better. The biggest thing is what we showed is that, you know, we made a promise back to the people of Oklahoma back in 2004. If they would give us this opportunity, what we were able to return. We've doubled, tripled what we said we were going to do. I think that helps everyone when they know they have a reliable partner that's there and has been there long term. 
2019, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt claimed the gaming compact between tribes and the state expired after the 15-year limit according to Oklahoma's State Tribal Gaming Act of 2004. However, auto renewal is also written into the agreement, which Governor Stitt challenged in court. Following months of contentious debate and lawsuits, the auto renewal clause was upheld. You know, uh, I, I think OIGA uh, held a unique position in that the subject that was at the core of that was gaming. And so we were positioned correctly to be the organization um, that that asked tribal leaders if they would come together to have these discussions. Um, we heard a lot within those discussions where, you know, elders would, would come into the meetings and, and tell us we've never seen Indian country in Oklahoma come together in this way with principal leaders at the table having discussions, learning more about each other. And, and I hope to see in the future, you know, more collaboration but amongst the tribal leaders. We have so many topics that overlap that there's there's so powerful this group in Oklahoma when they talk in unison, not only within the state level, but at the national level as well. Because of the way the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is set up, we need a partner across the table, and that partner being the state of Oklahoma. In order us for us to really meet our true potential, we have to have a partner on the other side of the table that sees the vision and that we can have a uh, respectful and diplomatic conversation uh, understanding where both sides come from, and try to find middle ground that works for all parties. Um, Oklahoma has never been a state in the gaming space where we've been on the forefront first movers. We've always had the ability within our tribal governments of being there. Tribal governments stand ready, uh, have done their due diligence, have had their conversations on a lot of emerging technologies out there across the United States. But I think where we lack is we lack that partner on the side of the table. The challenges to the gaming compacts brought together tribes throughout the state, including CPN, in an unprecedented manner. They formed United for Oklahoma not only to uphold gaming rights, but also to solidify their place as sovereign nations and community contributors. The United for Oklahoma effort is a coalition of tribes that have voluntarily just agreed to come and say, yes, this is, this is what we support as a group. We think it's important. Um, and, you know, they, we also have to agree that on those items that uh, don't have wide support, that we leave those to individual tribes to have a position on and hope that people understand that tribes are not monolithic. Uh, we're all not the same. We're not going to see the world the same. We're going to have differences of opinion sometimes. That's natural. You should. Um, but on those things that really strike at the heart of things that are important to tribes, sovereign rights, their their ability to provide programs and services to their citizens, law enforcement. Those are no-brainers. We're going to be on the same page on those. And, you know, just just reminding folks, we, we are your neighbor. We live and work here. Uh, we're, we're Oklahoma citizens, too, and our communities matter. And, you know, it's just not what happens within our own tribes, but it's in that broader community. Tribes are very welcoming to everybody. We've lived together, you know, for over 115 years with all kinds of people moving into the state, but we're not going anywhere. Uh, and, and we're not going to relinquish one iota of our sovereignty on that. But we have tools that and levers that we can utilize that can make everybody's lives better. And I think that's what United for Oklahoma stands for.
The future of gaming remains unclear, but tribes continue to add to Oklahoma's economy with millions of dollars toward job creation, construction, and much more. The casinos and their added amenities offer entertainment and other growth previously unseen in rural Oklahoma. Uh, the conversation over the last three years have, has really moved to sports betting. We see a lot of our regional competitors taking up the conversation or moving ahead with plans. And that's the part that worries me that, you know, our patrons will want to have newer products. We want to respond to them in a way that, that we want them keeping their dollars home. If we don't stay on the forefront and have honest dialogue with our partners, um, the market is going to suffer. And, you know, the state's exclusivity dollars are directly tied to how successful we do. And that makes no sense to me that we don't have a viable partner across the table, you know, asking us, what can we do? While we are indigenous to, this, to these lands, we will never move. The other thing I think I, I really take pride in is just watching our industry grow. I mean, we're very lucky. Uh, I, get to, I get to stand up at a podium and talk about it, but I, I'm not the person on the ground, you know, getting it to happen. I, I'm not the tribal leader that is, has authorized and taken that risk uh, as, as they're building some of these, but just to watch what we can do uh, as, as tribal people and watch the impact that ripples across our communities. The 2022 Oklahoma Legislative Session begins in January with more laws and proposals that affect the gaming industry sure to come. Find the Oklahoma Indian Gaming Association online at oiga.org. It's time for learning language when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. In this segment, Department Director Justin Neely tells a short story about the origin of the word bojo or hello in Potawatomi. Today, most people will use it uh, pretty much uh, just like a hello, but if you see somebody all the time, like constantly you're running into them, maybe they're your relative, you see them every day, or you can just use a how or a hope, hope, or how. Uh, sometimes I'll throw that out, I hope, or hope, how. That's another way you can kind of, kind of more of a familiar way of greeting somebody versus Bojo. Because Bojo, technically it goes back to, there's a story about the trickster uh, named Nana Bojo. Sometimes we call him Whiske. But a lot of people, they'll say, oh, Bojo, it sounds like bonjour. Well, yeah, sure it does. But, uh, you know, there's a story about... Uh, Nana Bojo and how he's gone from his people for a long time. And when he returns, um, kind of a short, condensed version of it, there's still a few people in his village who recognize him who are quite up there in age because he's been gone like 40, 50, 60 years. And he comes back and when they see him, they're like, they're excited. And they kind of run up to him. They're like, hey, Nana Bojo. And they shake his hand. And how then that became shortened to Bojo. So that's the story. In fact, I was told by a, an elder at one time that technically you should even shake hands when you say Bojo. Now, in our COVID days, that might involve an elbow bump, I don't know, <laughs> high five from a distance. <laughs> but, you know, it's old school, you know, you should uh, shake hands when you say bojo, more formal. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memorize. Thank you.
Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech nikanek, bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.